the place where I am going to be tonight is Second uh, Chronicles, Second um, Chronicles chapter thirty-four, talking about King Josiah. King Josiah. So, if you if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bible, um, please please open up to Second Chronicles chapter thirty-four. We'll start off uh, by uh, reading. Verses 1 through 8, 1 through 8. It's a kind of a long stretch. We're going to try to get through the whole chapter tonight. So a couple long stretches. Verse 1 says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed in the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, of the Asherah poles and of idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And he buried the bones of the priests on their, he burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. And he went back to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple, he sent, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the, son, the ruler of the city, with Joha, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So, uh, Josiah. Josiah is the last good king uh, in the kingdom of Judah. So a little bit of history, the first king, uh, the first, I suppose, meaningful king is David, King David. King Saul was before him, but he, his line was cut off because of his disobedience. But David becomes king. David's son is Solomon. They both ruled over a large, united kingdom of 12, 13 tribes. One of them, uh, Levi, didn't have land. And and there was a lot of prosperity and there was a lot of uh, a lot of peace under them. But his son Solomon's son Rehoboam was not a good king. Solomon was not a great king towards the end of his life. And the ten northern tribes broke off, and there were two tribes in the south, um, Benjamin and Judah, um, and. Simeon sort of was absorbed into the tribe of Judah by that time that uh, were a separate kingdom. So there's a larger kingdom in the north and there's a smaller kingdom in the south. The, the capital city of the, of the southern kingdom is called Jerusalem. So a lot of times Judah and Jerusalem are used, are connected together because of that. And Josiah was the last good king. There were not a lot of good kings at all, most of most of them were were bad. Some of them were really bad. Um, the South was the only the only the Southern Kingdom was the only kingdom that had any good kings. The Northern Kingdom had no kings that followed God, um, like like David did. A, a, a mention of if you see in verse two, it says that Josiah followed the ways of his father, David. Of course, that's not talking about his, his actual dad. It's, a, it's like a poetic uh, term to say his father, David. It's really his like great, great, great grandfather. There's no one in the north, in the northern kingdom, of, who said that it followed in the ways of, of David. But it does say that of Josiah. He reigns for 31 years. That's actually a really nice long time compared to other kings. Um, it might feel like it's not that long considering when he got started, which was at the age of eight, but compared to his father, his father, uh, started reigning at the age of 22 and he, 
died two years later. So he did pretty well, reigning 31 years. And after his reign, this is the history that's recorded about him. You know, the, the, the story of Josiah is continued after chapter 34. But uh, this is what was written about him. And consider that while even though a man was writing this, some, someone was recording all of this, you know, writing it down like a history. This is the inspired word of God. So it's not, it's not just a man who liked him or who had done favors, you know, you know, who had got into his good graces in some way or another. This is God's opinion of him. God's opinion of Josiah was that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed in the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the, to the left. That's really high praise, isn't it? Coming from God who sees the heart and who knows everything wrong that Josiah would ever would do even in the future or had done. Of course, the writer knew all of Josiah's flaws as well. And despite everything he said, he knew his, this, this man's heart is towards me. This, this is what the Lord is saying. And this is something that really strikes me about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is is really a story, more um, you know, more than a, more more. It's a story, at least the, in a, in a lot of ways. You know, the New Testament is a lot of letters of, um, but the but the Old Testament is a story in poetry, and and it's a story of mostly failures, isn't it? Abraham, Moses. David, all the way to Josiah, failures and failures, right? The bad guys fail and, you know, the sinners fail and also the, this, the good guys fail. and they, they mess up in sometimes really, really bad ways. And by failure, I'm defining failure as not, not achieving God's perfect standard. God's perfect standard is detailed in his law, in his word. That's the standard. And failure seems to be the standard in the Old Testament. Josiah would fail later in life, especially. Um, David did. Every, everyone, it, everyone did. It's, not, it's more common reading in the, old, in, in the Old Testament someone messing up than actually getting it right. And that's encouraging to me, even if in a fleshy way, um, to know that, that people are messing up more often than not. Um, but every once in a while, there's a man whose heart is towards God. You know, they're a flawed man. They're, they're a man that would fail, that would sin, um, but their heart is towards God. And God sees that their heart, the direction, the orientation of their heart, and does some great work through them. And so where did the where did the good work start with Josiah? Um, or I guess when, I should say. So it says in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, this is in verse three, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So he gets just a little math, right? Um, a little math here. He starts being king when he's eight o'clock when not eight o'clock when he's uh when he's eight years old which is uh which is really a judgment there's a in the book of isaiah it says that god isaiah is pronouncing judgment on the people and he says that children will rule over you so it's not a good state that the nation is in if there's children that are sitting on the throne it's not josiah's fault that he's sitting on the throne it's a it's a a picture of where the nation is at and it's not in a good place. Um, and he's, when he's 16, he really starts to take things seriously with God. His faith, his faith is far from perfect here. And, but that's not the point. You know, he's immature in one way or another. Um, and we find out actually he, he's, he doesn't even have a Bible. He just knows that he wants to seek God. He, he knows that he desires to know God. You know, there's been all kinds of surveys about this, that the later teen years are the most likely time in a person's life for them to make a life-changing decision, including believing the gospel. You know, a young 16-year-old boy is more open 
to hearing the, the gospel than a 26-year-old man or a 36-year-old man and so on and so on. And this is my unapologetic push for people to help out with the youth group. We have a lot of 16-year-olds. We have a lot of people there. They're full of ideas and they're, they're being pulled in all different directions. Um, and I know Josiah was as well. I know that Josiah, I, I, you know, that the distractions change over the years, but, you know, that back in, I don't, people said when I was a kid that it's never been harder than it was then. And I'm sure that's what my parents said of themselves or people said when they were kids and so on and so on. You know, we have an opportunity um, with each young person to bring them the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And they're not easy to work with. And I can't, I can, it's kind of hard for me um, to imagine, you know, a 16 year old who knows God being in charge of a nation, right? A 16 year old with all of their hormones and ideas and and some of, some of which are radical and some of which are uh, just wrong. But those things, don't, those, things didn't, those things are not the main thing. The main thing was that he began to seek God. He began to seek God. He wanted to know God, even as a young man. I thank God for each person, each man and woman um, in, in my life who, when I was a teenager, showed me God's way. Um, and I have to believe that in Josiah's generation that he had, he had distractions that they, they were like, man, this kid, you know, he has a terrible father. He had a terrible father. His grandfather was just a murderer, um, he repented at the end of his life, but he was the most murderous king in the Southern kingdom. He killed, said that the streets were running, running uh, with blood because of how many people he he was killing. And Josiah, you know, in his generation, he didn't have any internet. He didn't have any electricity, but even with no internet and with no electricity, the Kings of Israel managed to stray from God more often than they walked towards him. So I just know it was hard then, but it wasn't hopeless. It's hard now for youth, but it's not hopeless um, for, for youth. I think in every generation, God finds a way. God finds a way to find his people and to draw them to him and to, and to do a work through them. Um, and I'll go so far as to say, if you are a grown-up, if you are a grown-up and you are a Christian, you should be investing in people who are younger than you in some way. Josiah certainly had this. You know, I, I, it doesn't say who their names were. I just know that it's true because he was a kid. <laughs> so he, there were people in his life. They're nameless. Obviously, they're faceless. Um, his, it wasn't his father. His father was terrible. His grandfather was terrible. Um, but there was someone, there were people who were pouring into this kid's life at a young age. And there are young boys and girls in our church who need you looking at, I'm looking at the camera, you know, like a politician. They need you. They need you in their life. They don't even know it that they need you, but they do. They need you in their life, sharing God's word with them, sharing God's love with them. There's so much potential. We'll see that with, with uh, I almost said my son's name. We'll see that with Josiah. You know, all these kings, they had so much potential for good and they had potential for evil. And I've got to believe that there's, in, in each of the youth in our church, there's that, there's that, there's that potential. Um, you know, they might, they might fly off the handle and they might say ridiculous things. Um, and certainly... Josiah, at the age of 16, he wasn't fully up to speed with everything. Like, like I said earlier, he didn't even have a Bible yet. He just knew he wanted to follow God, even though he didn't have theology training or even Bible memorization. He wanted to follow God. It's a vulnerable place, right? 
a follower of the of God needs the Word of God, or really they're very susceptible to convincing to convincing people uh, who might not have their best interests at heart. You know, people who can direct them to one way or the other. Um, so four years after his conversion, he's being discipled by someone, but at the age of twenty, it says he begins to purge the land of wickedness. You know, he had a unique role. And he had authority to be able to go out and tell people what to do. I don't have that kind of authority to, you know, go up and down Boston and, and tear down, you know, idols and tell people what they should or shouldn't be doing. But I know that I do. And I know that each person here, I know that you do. I know that each young person has an ability to, at the very least in your own life, if not beyond your own life, but at least in your own life, to knock down the idols and to do away with idolatry. It's pretty metal. He, it says that he, uh, when I say metal, I mean like extreme. It's he it says he ground the bones uh, of the pagan priest to dust, right? Is, is that, let, me, let me find out exactly what it says. It says, I'm sorry, it says he burned the bones of the priests on their altars. You know, that's pretty, that's, that's, that's like, really extreme, you know, stuff. I can sort something I can imagine like a, like a young fiery guy, you know, who young fiery guy doing it. It doesn't, that this is, and, and you know what we might, I don't know if we think this is too much or not, but I tell you what, this is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. It's kind of, this is a weird prophecy. Um, but when the Bible has, has prophecy and it comes true, it, it should really catch our attention like this something has happened something something has happened to make make the word of god should make the word of god more valid in our in our minds when it when it comes true it does for me and this was a this was a 300 year old prophecy um way back remember at the beginning when it says that rehoboam he, i was talking about in the very beginning rehoboam was a bad king and the Ten tribes go up to the north, and two tribes stay in the south. Um, and the king of the new, the new ten, the new kingdom up here in the, the ten tribes, his name was Jeroboam, and he created a false religion to prevent people who wanted to worship God from going back to Jerusalem because he was afraid. Well, if they go back down to Jerusalem, they're they're going to want to not be a part of like this new kingdom. So he set up a, a new religion, a false religion. He set up a temple in, in Dan and he set up temples in the Northern kingdom and said, you don't have to worship in Jerusalem anymore. Like God had actually said like that. There was no, there was no uh, getting around that. He just lied. He just said something that was expedient for him. He changed the word of God and added to it because it was convenient for him. And he created this false religion and a young prophet came, you know, when they were dedicating this new, one of these temples or this altar, this prophet comes and he said, listen, one day on those very altars that you're setting up right now, one day there is a king who has not been born yet, who is going to put the bones of these false priests on that false altar and is going to burn them. And the pro it, so that's not only, that's not it. It says that that king would be named Josiah. That's what that prophet said 300 years earlier. That the prophets, the, this prophet says, there's going to be a king who's not yet born, his name is going to be Josiah, and he's going to put the bones of your false priests on your false altar, and he's going to burn them. And Josiah is the fulfillment of this prophecy, right? He's the, he's the fulfillment of this prophecy, and maybe you'll say, well, his father must have named him Josiah because he hoped that his son would fulfill this prophecy. But remember, who is his father? We talked about this briefly. The short-lived and evil King Ammon. He died when he was 22 or 24. He reigned for two years. He didn't follow the Lord. 
And anyway, by this logic, I guess every king in the South should be naming his son Josiah, just in case he's the one to fulfill this prophecy. But God worked in the heart of an evil king to name his son Josiah. And this Josiah would be, would be, the, would be the one to fulfill, to fulfill this prophecy. This is providence, right? The land had forgotten the word of God and had lost the word of God. And this young man, Josiah, was raised up at the right time according to the prophetic word of God. And after spending six years ridding the land of the pagan idols and putting the bones of the pagan priests, he's even going into the north, into the northern kingdom. At this, at this point, the northern kingdom had been destroyed uh, by the kingdom of Assyria. And they were in an unbelievably weakened state. And they depended actually a lot on the southern kingdom for security and cult and and also culture but they were still going to this you know going to these temples and so he goes in and he goes in judah and jerusalem and he goes outside of the country as well goes on this crusade to rid the land of this pagan of this false religion of this and this is false worship. this is this is two, this is multiple things as well this is false worship of god right um and this is also just pagan worship and it's all the same like he does it's not it's not uh it's not well you know they still say it's christianity or they still say god and so it still counts maybe a little better than something else no it the same thing that he's doing with the asherah and with the Baal, he's doing with this false this false religion um and after he's doing this for six years, you know, riding around, just wrecking, <laughs> wrecking. I, I, I want, I don't know. I, it kind of sounds kind of cool riding around and just destroying pagan temples. But um, after six years of doing this, he turns his, his eye back to the temple of God in Jerusalem, which apparently had fallen into disrepair. And in verse uh, in verse 8, it says, um, or rather in verse 9, it says that he goes, he, they, he went to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him money, um, and gave him, uh, and gave him money that had been brought into the temple of God. And in verse 10, they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. Verse 11, they also gave money to carpenters and to builders to purchase dressed stone and timber for joists and beams for the building that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin, right? The house of God had fallen into ruin. And he's, he's saying, all right, we've taken care of, we've, it's kind of the opposite you know, of, what I, of what normally I would say. But like we were saying, like normally I would say, you know, what does Jesus say? Like, you know, he says to take the, take the, the splinter out of your eye before you go deal with someone else's problems. Right. But Josiah, he's young, you know, he does it backwards. He goes, deals with everyone else's problems first. And, you know, maybe he's not, maybe he's, you know, he's not mature yet. Maybe he isn't doing it the right way. Like, I don't know. Like, it's not normally what I would, what I would say should go first. He's a young man, you know, he's a young man. He's doing what he thinks is right. He's full of zeal for God. Uh, he comes back and he says, we need to fix the temple. The temple had fallen into disrepair. It's a, it's a sad place for the country to be in when the temple is in disrepair. And it says in verse 12, it says, and this is just a beautiful verse, I think. Um, the, those, these first four words, it says, the workers labored faithfully. Um, it just says so much to me about the quality of their work and about the attitude that they had while they worked. You know, I think, I really thank God we have men and we have women in this church in Calvary Chapel in the city who really labor faithfully in the word uh, and in, in God's house. And, and at the end of the day, that's what's people, what's what people are looking at. They're looking at the temple, right? They're coming 
they're, they're coming to church, they're listening to the music, to the worship music, they're listening to the teaching, they're sitting in the chairs, which are all properly, you know, distance and everything, you know, they're, they're dropping their kids off, they're, they're, it's clean, and they're not like, wow, man, this must have taken a lot of work to set up, this must have, you know, those good, the guitars are all tuned, and the, everything is clean, and you know, it's comfortable, you know, hopefully it's comfortable temperature. <laughs> um, they're not thinking that they've come there to see God's ha- to, to, to be in God's house. You know, they're not looking at the workers, but when you serve in ministry, you really feel grateful for people who would, who exemplify this, like the workers labored faithfully, praise God. Um, you're really grateful for the people who you serve alongside with. And, and, and truly, I mean, when you serve God, the blessing is to be able to see come to see people come and worship, to see people come and be blessed and be encouraged and to be built up. That's the blessing. You know, I, I could, I think I could go, I, hopefully I, I could say this about myself, but I think I could go, you know, my whole life. I don't do setup as often as I used to, but, um, I, I do play, I play the drum and I do, you know, other things in church. And if, if, if no one ever said, thank you for doing whatever it is, fill in the blank. I, I think, you know, I think that I would be fine with that just, but, but to know that God is using our church, you know, God is building people up. He's growing people. He's also growing our church, which is a miracle in a pandemic. Um, you know, these are the the God. These are the people who are tending to God's sheep in their labor. That's that's such an important role. It's such an important role. They're tending to God's house. Now we come to verse fourteen. An important discovery is made. We're going to read verse uh, verse fourteen through eighteen. It says, while they were bringing up the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given to Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple and have entrusted it to the supervisors and the workers. You know, here's the daily report, whatever. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book as if this wasn't the most groundbreaking thing that would, be hap- would, would happen in Josiah's life. He's given me a book, and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. You notice the difference between in the attitude of these men. You know, one of them is there's nothing wrong with secretaries, you know. And there's some priests who are, very, who are not very good at all, but Hilkiah is the priest of the Lord, and Shaphan is the, uh, the king's secretary. And Hilkiah, he says, I have found the book of the law. But Shaphan, when he brings the book to Josiah, he says, Hilkiah is giving me a book. You know, I'm sure you can discern the difference here. There's a world of, dif- a world of difference as, as far as the reverence goes. Of course, Hilkiah would recognize that this is a book, right? This is a, this is a book. You know, many people in the Bible and many people in the world recognize, yeah, the Bible's uh, well, obviously everyone would recognize the Bible as a book, but as far as a holy book, right? Many people would say, yes, it's a holy book. It's an important book. Um, one among many, but to Hilkiah and to those whose hearts are towards God, this is the book. There's not another book like it. There's not another book that's inspired by God like it. This is, this is the book that can change my life, can change your life, the lives of those around you, the lives of the, of the whole world, because it's the inspired word of God. This, it's, these aren't words that come from the creativity, from, our, from the creativity of man, right? These are, these are transcendent words that come, that are timeless, that come from a timeless God. You know, a book, the book can make all the difference. 
And what is now let's 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 look at Josiah's reaction to the reading of the word of God. Verse 19. Verse 19 says, Then the king heard the words of the law, and he tore his robes. You know, this is the first time that he hears the word of, of God. Like, he doesn't have a Bible before this. He, everything that he knows about God has been taught to him by, you know, people who are discipling him. But he, for the first time, he's really reading the word of God. We, we, we heard about this on Sunday, that the soil of his heart was ready to receive the word. You know, if you can imagine your heart being like a garden. You know, and this is and Jesus gives the parable that some people's hearts are are soft and some people's hearts are are plowed and they're ready to to receive the seed. And the seed is the word of God. They're ready to receive it and it goes into their heart and it it something happens. Right. Something something good happens. Right. So why does he. Why does he tear his garments? This is a, it's a statement of grief. It's a statement that something terrible and unholy has happened. And of course, he's not talking about the fact that he's heard it. He's heard the word of God. That's probably the most influential, uh, however long that took, how long would it take to read the, the first five books? You know, a couple hours, maybe. Probably the most influential and important couple hours of his life. But he's grieving because he knows that he and all Israel are guilty. They're guilty. They're guilty. They're guilty. And he's grieving because the word of God has been lost. It's been lost up until now. And, where, and all this time in his life, I'm sure he's feeling like he's wasted time. You know, he, he, was, he was going about, I, it doesn't say this, right? You know, I'm, Hopefully I'm not putting words in Josiah's mouth, but, you know, he'd been spending all this time, you know, going and doing things outside the kingdom when he should have been doing things inside the kingdom. I don't, you know, he's, he's thinking like, man, I've wasted all this time. You know, he's only 20 um, or 22. He, he's not that old, but I'm sure he's thinking I've wasted time. This nation has wasted time. We have disobeyed God. And, I think probably it's not irony, it's, it's, but it's, it's sad, is that where was the place where the word of God had been lost? You know, the word of God had been lost in the house of God. And I, I wonder if he was thinking, the place where I should have been reading the word of God, the place where I should have been learning the word of God, where the word of God should have been taught, um, and by it to be able to stay on the path that the path of God's blessing, the path that they had strayed so far away from that in that very house, the word of God had been lost. It's, it's almost, it's almost like sadly poetic. He's grieving because there was this opportunity that, that, that should have happened for him. He should have been, I think he's, I think he realizes like, I wish that I had been going to the temple and reading the word of God. You know, there's this opportunity that, that Israel had and he's seeing, and he is, and he is now seeing for the first time that the opportunity has passed and that the door is closed. And the only thing that is left is the surety of his guilt and of the guilt of the nation. That's all that's left. You know, do we know, though, that we, and Jesus calls us, you know, this is, this is not just an Old Testament thing, that we're a walking temple, right? Uh, you know, praise God that in our church, the word of God, and at, and on Sunday mornings, the word of God is, is taught faithfully. But is the word of God hidden in such a way, in a bad way, in our lives, so that our friends and our family and our acquaintances and our coworkers and the young people in the youth group and and the people in you know in our lives that God has brought into our lives and we were the opportunity we were the opportunity to teach them to show them God 
and they never even stumble upon it, you know, until it's too late. Something that, man, in 2020, I've thought about more than ever is that I'm going to die. And, you know, unless the Lord comes back, I'm going to die. And everyone that I love and everyone that I come across is going to die unless the Lord comes back. And I have a chance with them now. And you have a chance with them now, today, you know, today, this Sunday, this next month, this next year, 2021, we have a chance. And that chance is going to go away. It won't last forever. And it will, there will come a time when the chance is gone and it will never come back. There's no, there's some things, sometimes the door is closed and it never opens again. And Josiah is seeing that. He's seeing that in the nation. He's saying, he's seeing there's no coming back from where we are. And he's grieving and he's weeping and he's, he tears his clothes. Um, and, I'm, and it's a sad thing, you know. So let it be at least, let, let it be in our lives that, you know, that, that, our, we, that the word of God is living and active in our life and that we are a walking temple. But let it be at the very, very least that, the, that in our church at Calvary Chapel in the city, that the word of God will not cease to go out every Sunday and hopefully Tuesday and other times throughout the week. I'm, I'm grateful because this is not the case in every church in this city, obviously in this country. Um, it's not the case that, that a church continues to preach the word. It's not, it's, that's, it's, it's a blessing that we're here. I, I, I'm grateful for, for where we are in our, in our church, you know, it, and it is a commitment by God's grace. It is a commitment that we will not stop preaching the word of God unapologetically. I'm grateful no matter what, whatever the winds of change are, are going on in the world, whether they're good or ill, no matter what, we will preach the word of God at Calvary Chapel in the city by God's grace. And, you know, God's word is an aroma of life to one person, and it's aroma of death to another person. Um, but consider, consider the fruit of this. We just, we talked, I mentioned this before. In a pandemic, our church was growing. What? You know, that's crazy. It's God's grace. But I tell you what, it's God's grace through the obedience, uh, the obedience to preaching the word. You know, whether it's, whether it's hard or whether it's, whether it's not hard, what's, there's some things that are wonderful and easy to preach, you know, uh, there's other things that are not. There are also, there are also social trends that would, you know, pull us to the right or to the left, but there's one narrow way that, that we've got to go. And that's preaching the word of God. Um, you know, our, our church doesn't, isn't blessed our church doesn't our church doesn't grow because we have some hipster pastor with an active Instagram account. My dad's I don't even know if he knows what Instagram is. He's 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 uh he says Facebook all the time. Um it's but it's because the leadership of Calvary Chapel in the city humbly seeks God, shepherds the flock, and preaches the word of God even when it's uncomfortable. It's it's because of that 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 we can be that we're 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 grateful to be in a church like this. Praise the Lord. But this this is how that in this city in this country, and in this you know and in the church at large in the world that it loses its influence is that the word of God gets lost in the house of God. No one stole it, right? It wasn't stolen by some enemy. You know, no foreign power came in and said, you've got to stop teaching the, the Bible and the government didn't tell them to stop doing it. It got lost in the house of God. It just became unpopular. It became uncomfortable. It became old. It wasn't trendy. And it was just so set aside, set aside, pushed aside until no one picked it up anymore and everyone eventually forgot where it was. And I feel, I mean, honestly, I feel like I can do very little about the church at large in the world. You know, what can I do? I can pray, but I know what we can do here. By, and by God's grace, the word of God will never get lost here by God's grace. You know, we're sinners, we're flawed, but may our hearts be towards God. 
by God's grace, we can raise up leaders to keep doing it, to keep preaching the word, and we can become leaders that keep preaching the word. We see in verse 19 through 22, the king heard the words of the law and he tore his robes. I've tried to rip a shirt. Um, it depends on the shirt. If it's an older shirt, I can rip it. But he rips his robes. Twenty Verse 20 says, he gave these orders to Hilkiah, uh, to Ahikam, the son of Shaphan. Oh, is that the same Shaphan? I don't know, maybe. Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asaiah, the king's attendant. He says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the, rem for the remnant in Israel and Judah. The remnant in Israel, that's talking about the people who were in the northern kingdom, right? And then Judah is talking about the southern kingdom. So inquire for us about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because of the, those who have gone before us and have not kept the words and have not kept in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak with the prophetess Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hasra, the keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. So what's going on here, right? Josiah, he recognizes that he's been living wrong and also that everyone else that he's ever known has been living wrong. His culture is opposed to God and all his traditions and ethics and morals are all opposed to God. And he's realizing this for the first time. And even though he's been pursuing God, you know, in his own way for many years, um, he is still willing to say, we're wrong. I'm wrong. I need to change. And that's repentance, by the way. That's repentance. I'm wrong and I need to change. I'm wrong, God. You're right. I need to do start doing things your way. It, and his, right, his intentions, you could say so many good things about his intentions. He had good intentions for six years. He, was, he, he, lo he loved God. He loved God and he was showing it in his own way. And there was, he was doing better than his, than his father and then his grandfather and many other people that came before him, but he recognized I haven't been doing it God's way, right? And that's the only thing that accounts. That's the only thing that matters. And I did it his way and I haven't been doing it his way. And I'm going to start doing it his way. And that's what he says. And this is something that, you know, he's a young man, but this is something that won't ever stop happening in our life, in my life, in your life, if we're seeking God. I think about Daniel. Daniel, at the end of his life, at the end of his life, he's praying and he's fasting and he says, we have sinned, we and our kings and our fathers and everyone who lived in the land. He's including himself, right? Daniel is this very righteous man and he's this very righteous man and he says, I have messed up and we have messed up and we need your forgiveness. The word of God will not the word of God will not be stale, you know, to us as we grow with the Lord. Josiah, he's five years into his walk with God. He reads the whole Bible and he says, I need to learn more about this, right? He, he reads the whole Bible and he's like, I need to know more. I need to know more. If you haven't read the whole Bible, brother, sister, read it. Read the whole thing, the whole Bible. You know, it may, maybe... Maybe it's a full day, you know, Josiah, it sounds like he's, he was there for an afternoon. Maybe it's, maybe it's this year, maybe it's a month, you know, read the whole Bible, right? Not just, not just snippets in, in your, you know, daily devotional or sermons here and sermons there. Read the whole Bible. When you do that, you will, re you will feel I need to know more about this. Even when you're finished with reading the whole Bible, there's, there's not a Christian who finishes the Bible and says, well, I'm done with that, right? The, the scripture says, more are they to be desired, the words of the Lord, than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. Job says, I've esteemed your word more than my necessary food. 
you know, I, I don't know about you, but after I eat, I don't think to myself, and that's the only person I think to, I never think to anyone else. I think, well, that's the last time I'll be doing that. I'll, I'll never eat that again because I've already eaten it and I'll never, I'll never eat anything again because I'm full right now. Right. That would never, ever happen. You can ask my wife. Sometimes we talk about what we're going to have for breakfast the night before. Um, this is a marker of in the, this is a, 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 a mark, marker is kind of a weird word. I don't know. It's, this is a, an evidence uh, that, that, uh, a man or a woman whose heart is towards God is that we just heard your word and we want to hear it again and we want to know more and we want to talk about it after it's over. And then we want to talk about the next time that we're going to have it. You know, I also know this, if there's nothing to eat in the house, I'm going to eat anyway. I'm going to order out. There's usually something to eat in the house, but if there's nothing to eat in the house, I'll, I'm going to fill my, my stomach and some, with something. And if we are not feeding on God's word, we'll order out too. We will fill the infinite need for spiritual life from God with other stuff. Unfortunately, we do that. And just like, you know, we're not going to be hungry for a good home cooked meal after we filled up on Oreos. We might not be hungry for God's word if we're filled up on other things. What are the other things? What are the things that, that my generation does? Binging shows on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, on HBO Max, on Disney Plus, on Hulu. Scrolling through Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube, Reddit, TikTok, Facebook. Reading the news over and over and over and over and over. You know, being obsessed with your, with your uh, stock portfolio. Filling up on Oreos, right? Is there, a, is there a good time to have Oreos, to have like some of them? Like uh, there's only, only two servings, uh, no, only, two cook, only two Oreos in one serving. I never only have two, but is there ever a good time for a good amount of Oreos? Of course there is, right? Of course. You know, how do I know that I've had too many though? Because I don't want any dinner now. Am I full on spiritual Oreos? Are you full on spiritual Oreos? Are we full on, on, on other things that are perhaps in and of themselves not bad, but in, in, as a replacement for God's word are bad? Yeah. What's, how, how do you fix that? You get rid of the Oreos. You stop eating them and you start eating good food you stop stop spending all that time it's just it's it's mostly our phone isn't it you know stop spending all that time on our phone put the phone down and pick up the bible pick up the bible and read it and read it and god will minister to your heart and fill you and fill you in a way that makes you alive in a way that really is what we want we, we want to feel alive and full spiritually and josiah feels this he hungers for god's word he has the first for the first time in his life he has you know he is able to like dine on the word of god and he wants more he is now he's seen the reality that is the substance of god's word and he wants more and so he sent that he says he says to hilkiah the high priest find someone who can tell me more about this and they, they come across this prophetess, Hulda. Hulda, the wife of Shalom, the son of a bunch of people. She lives in Jerusalem. A quick note here about Hulda. In the Old Testament, in the Bible, women being spiritual leaders is indicative of, an, of the nation being in a bad state. It doesn't mean that the women are bad people or that they're bad leaders. In fact, they're actually they're good leaders and they're real shepherds of the people. It doesn't mean that they don't know God. Doesn't mean they don't have a relationship with God. It's not a statement about the woman. You know, this is not a statement about Hulda. 
a lot, you know, a lot of times you may hear this about uh, Deborah in the book of Judges as well. It's not about Deborah. It's not about Huldah. It's about the nation. The nation is in a state of disobedience. And it's the same really in, in the world today when the men refuse to lead as God has, as God has commanded them to. The women will fill the void and do a good job in their own right, but the society suffers. And we see it in our city and we see it in churches as well. And it doesn't mean that the women who are leading these, pa- you know, pastors, who, women who are pastors are bad or they're not real Christians. Or I'll even go out on a limb and say that even that they're in sin. Was Hulda in sin? Was Deborah in sin? No, I don't think that they were. I really think that they were obeying what God was doing in their life. And they were filling a void that was that needed to be filled. They were obeying. And they were, she was a woman of God. She was, the pers- she was the person who God spoke to. And she was the person who God used. And it wasn't her fault that the nation was in disobedience. If anything, she's the only one who's being obedient. And everyone else is disobeying. And what is the word that God gives her? Verse 23 through 28. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The man who sent Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to acquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and because you humbled yourself before God. When you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. Because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence. I have heard you, says the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. And your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Hulda doesn't hold back the uncomfortable truth. And what is the truth? The truth is that the nation, the nation has gone past the point of any real return, of any, of any like meaningful reconciliation where there wouldn't have to be this kind of judgment. And as far as judgment is concerned, it's a certainty. God, he, she doesn't hide that. She doesn't hide this from them. You know, this is real preaching. When God says this, we say this. Whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not, whether my friends or my family or my coworkers or people on Twitter or the government or this person or that person likes it or not, she doesn't with hold the hearth the harsh truth from josiah and that truth is that the nation is doomed the nation is doomed and also there's nothing you can do about it it's 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 uh it's happening and but like always is the case you know god's word ends with grace here and what is grace grace is getting something you don't deserve you deserve a punishment but instead you get a reward the nation deserves wrath they deserve wrath and they're it, they deserve wrath because they have offended God so grievously. But during Josiah's lifetime, they will receive peace. They deserve wrath, but instead they'll receive they, they will receive peace. And why is that? Verse 27, your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I've heard you, declares the Lord. Right? What was the, on, on, on Sunday, last, this, this last Sunday, what was the, the sermon about? What is the condition of our heart in to receive the word of God? Whether it's a word of wrath or a word of comfort. And we've prepared our hearts to accept God's word and to repent and to obey. And this means to start by God's grace, to start trying to change things in our life, to start doing things differently, to start trying to change things in our life, by God's grace. And, and, and if so, then 
even in the midst of pain and of disappointment, there can be grace and there can be comfort and there can be peace. Right? This is, this is the exact opposite of health and wealth preaching, right? Health and wealth preaching is that no matter what, God wants you to prosper and to be healthy. And Hulda's preaching is the nation is doomed. It's doomed. And God's word may be that person who you're praying for who's sick is going to die. Or you are going to be single. Or you are going to lose this money. Or this, or this opportunity. Or that person is never going to apologize like you want them to. And keep in mind, if these things kind of feel close to home for any of you, keep in mind that Josiah is hearing everyone that you love and care for is doomed for sure. That's what he's hearing. So even if even in the harshness of God's word, and it can be harsh. This is a harsh word for Josiah. Even, in, even there, there can be comfort. Even in the disappointment, there can be peace and there can be joy. But have we humbled ourselves and prepared our hearts? That was, that was the key for Josiah. That was the key. So many of the kings of Israel when they hear bad news, when some prophet comes to them and says, you've disobeyed God and judgment's coming, pride just says, no. And it, it flexes its muscles like I did just now, flexing, you know, no, you know, don't, no, no, no bowing to the Lord. Instead, like raising your fist. And pride comes from fear and unbelief. And their pride is unbroken or, or it isn't easily broken. It's broken by God's judgment. They say, no, I will not accept it. I do not accept that word. I won't accept it. I'm going to have it my way. And they perish. But Josiah, he hears God's word. And it's, it's, a, it's a hard word. It's a hard word. But he humbles himself. He says, you know, like his father David, you know, the Lord is actually, no, like not his father David, like Job. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, was his attitude. He recognizes God is perfectly right to do this and that he and the nation had fallen so woefully short and there was just nothing he could do about what was coming. And he accepted God's word as true and surrendered to it even though it was a terrible word. A hard heart won't be changed like that. You know, the first soil in the parable of the soils, the, the ground is hard, right? And the, the seed comes on it, and then it's just plucked away, and it does nothing in their heart. It, it makes no change for good, or, or the ground is just this worthless hard ground. But Josiah's heart is soft, right? It's, it, he's prepared it. He's humble. He, he's been just, you know, just, just like an actual, you know, like a, in a garden, you have to rake, you have to, to, to break up the soil. You have to tear up the soil. You know, his heart had been broken by this, right? Everything, hope, I think he was hoping, for, he was saying like, man, I'm really turning things around in this nation, and it, his heart had been broken. He realized that, that the nation was doomed and that, and that God's judge, just judgment was coming. But he had a humble heart. And this is the kind of heart that, that God blesses, a broken heart. Right? Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And that's the kind of person who... who who God uses, who God blesses, who God, the word comes in into that broken, to that crushed spirit, right? And then something good comes out of it, something very beautiful, something that wasn't there before, right? Like now, now, something, now something good can happen in the nation in 31 years of peace that wasn't going to happen before. God would do a new thing, even though the judgment was still coming. 
And the, the, a man whose heart is, is towards God, his heart is broken and his, his spirit of self-will is crushed. And that man is near to God and God was close to Josiah. So verse 29 through 31 says, The king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people from the least to the greatest. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. So what's happened to Josiah, right? First, he's a young man. He, he is a young man. His heart is towards God. And the first thing he does in his life, he seeks God. And he doesn't seek God perfectly, maybe, but he seeks God. His heart is towards God. God's, and God recognizes this. God, you know, through, through that prop, through, the, through Huldah, he says, God says, like, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you the greatest blessing I could give you, Josiah, because I know where your heart is at. Even though maybe he hadn't done everything perfectly, which he hadn't been. He seeks God. Um, he submits to God's will, even though the will, that God's will, God's word is definitely not what he was hoping for. Right? He submits to it anyway. And now he is leading. He is a spiritual leader. He's reading the word of God to his people. And he's publicly committing and committing and commanding dedication to God in his own life. And he would also do it in the nation. And this is what God does with the man whose heart is towards him, with the woman whose heart is towards him. They're not perfect. But the man seeks God, he submits to God, and he shepherds the people that God has put in his life. And God wants to do this in your life. He wants to do this in my life. He wants to do this in every Christian's life. God wants you to lead the people that God has put in your life. And there are plenty of people that God has placed in your life to lead and disciple. And if you can't think of any, then talk to me after, and I will get you connected with Sunday school or with youth group. You can start leading and discipling young people. He wants you to lead them and to point them to God. And interest, and interest, interesting to me, the scripture doesn't say what their reaction is, whether they liked it or not, or whether, you know, they were on their phones while he, they were, you know, he was reading or while they were listening to music. Of course, I'm kidding. Like whether they were distracted, you know, doesn't say what their reaction said. It says what he did, Right. And, and that is, that's, that's enough, right? This is what God asks of me and of you, right? Not like, you know, what did they do? What is he doing? What is she doing? What is that group doing? You know, maybe you're a part of this group. No, what are you doing, right? This, the nation of Israel, they would have this extra time of peace, 31 years, uh, or um, I guess like 25 years. Uh, because he had been reigning for some for a little bit of time, but they would have this extra time of peace, not because of anything that they did. They didn't do anything. They would have this extra time of peace because of what Josiah did. In fact, the book of Zephaniah says Zephaniah is a prophet who's speaking to Judah under the reign of Josiah. Zephaniah says, "This people they serve me outwardly, but they have rebellious hearts." So the people that he's trying to lead, they're they're not in it. He's in it, right? He, he's the man whose heart is towards God. He's seeking God. You know, he's submitting to God. He's shepherding God's people. And because he's obeying, the benefit is not just for him. It's for thousands of people, people maybe he will never meet. And that's the case in your life and in the case in my life. That if I'm seeking God, submitting to God, and shepherding his people, there are people who will be blessed through your life, who you'll never meet. And I, I'm personally so grateful that God could do anything through my life. And he will. He will do things through my life, through your life. And he did through Josiah's life. 
verse 33 says, Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. You know, if I was one of the officials who heard the word of God that was spoken through Huldah, I feel like I would make it a priority, like a national priority, to keep this guy alive for as long as possible, right? Maybe they didn't believe it, but like, if they did, then they've got to be saying, we've got to keep this guy away from the battlefield and make sure he gets plenty of vegetables and exercise because as soon as he dies, that's it. That's over. It's over for us. And Josiah did reign for 30 years, which is a nice long time. I mean, he, he died in his forties um, or in his late thirties. He died when he was pretty young, but 30 years is a nice long time. And, and he actually did die in a, in, a, in a battle, so I guess they dropped the ball there. And God's word of judgment came to pass, and the nation was destroyed, and the people were taken away, and even the temple was destroyed. But because of one man who sought God, who submitted to God, and shepherded his people, they had 30 years of peace. And I think that's something that's worth praying for for each one of us.